0: I want to tell you the story this morning of Aaron Ralston. Aaron moved to Utah right at the beginning of the 2000s, and he thought that he had made an incredible decision. Aaron loved the outdoors, and if you've ever been to Utah, Utah is an outdoor playground, an outdoor paradise. Just a few hours from where Aaron lived, he could explore Zion National Park. He could go to Bryce Canyon National Park. He could take pictures and explore Arches National Monument and so many other amazing vistas. Aaron had just completed a series of summits across Colorado's tallest, highest, most challenging mountains. And he came back home to Utah intent on continuing to explore his beautiful state. But on April the 26th, 2003, Aaron went out for a hike that would change his life. He went out to explore the slot canyons in southern Utah. It was a very remote area. There were very few people around. He only passed a a pair of young women on his way towards where he was going, and he was out there for the entire day really seeing and hearing no one. Before Aaron left on April the 26th, 2003, he made a terrible decision. What was that decision, you say? He didn't tell anyone where he was going and he didn't take anything that he could use to contact help if something went wrong. And as you might guess, something went terribly wrong on the hike that day. Aaron was descending in a slot canyon when the boulder that he was coming down got dislodged and this several hundred pound boulder collapsed, crushing one of his arms to the wall. He couldn't move. He was stuck literally in the canyon. No one around, no one to find him, no one to hear him, no one to see him. He was stuck. Aaron was alone in that wilderness for five and a half days. Stuck out there by himself. No one knew that he had gone. No one knew where he had gone. No one knew where to find him, and he had no way to call for help. And over 127 hours, Aaron struggled, and his life flashed before his eyes. He made videos on his camera to his loved ones saying goodbye. He experienced some incredible things on a mental and emotional level. And finally, in the middle of that sixth day, Aaron had an idea. An idea that ultimately saved his life. He had a pocket knife. And Aaron did something that I don't think I could do. I don't think many of you could do. Aaron made the decision that the only way that he was going to survive was to leave his arm under the boulder and use his knife to literally cut his way out. And he did. He used his pocket knife to free himself of a portion of his arm, and he walked out of the canyon to find help, be taken to a hospital, and ultimately, Aaron survived. His story became a best-selling book called Between a Rock and a Hard Place. James Franco played Aaron in the movie 127 Hours, and his story has been told for the last almost 20 years. And Aaron's story, while a little bit intense for a Sunday morning, illustrates for us the truth that's held in the pages of the Bible. In Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine and 10, we read these words, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Friends, you may never have been trapped between a literal rock and a literal hard place. You may never have been out alone in the wilderness for 127 hours by yourself, but I think all of us can relate to the experience of Aaron Ralston. We've found ourselves out somewhere alone and isolated and in a terrible predicament. I believe each of us has had a moment where we felt completely alone. Maybe that moment's happened this year in 2020, Maybe that moment has happened this year in the midst of COVID-19. Maybe it's happened at another time. But, but I wonder if you could think back in, in your mind's eye to a time in your past where you felt isolated and alone. And if you can remember those emotions, you can remember those feelings, that is what I want to talk about today. We're in a series this month called Flourish. Flourish is a word that most of us haven't used in the last six months in 2020. We've used words like survive. Make it through, endure, persevere, grit, resilience, but not flourish. And over three weeks, last week, this week, and next week, we're talking about how can we as individuals and as a church flourish amidst incredibly difficult times. And one of the things that we're reminding ourselves of is this, that flourishing isn't dependent on what we think it is. Flourishing is not only possible in ideal conditions— when those things happen that we would think would be catalysts for flourishing. But what we're seeing is that flourishing is dependent on different things, maybe more fundamental things, maybe simpler things than we've thought, thought of before. We started this series last week, and if you missed it, you can watch this message on our website, prescottcornerstone.com. But in week one of this series, we said, in order to flourish, we need an awareness of God's presence. In order for us to flourish in our lives— In order for us to flourish as a church, we need to not just have God's presence. We need to live with an awareness of God's presence. Each of these weeks is a P. Last week was presence. This week, we're talking about people. And here's the big idea for today. That everyone wants to experience community, but do we want to make a real commitment? That's the fundamental question today. We all want to experience community. None of us want to be Aaron Ralston, isolated, lonely, by ourselves when something terrible happens. We all want to experience community and have people like Ecclesiastes say who will pick us up and help us up. But do we want to make a real commitment that makes that kind of community possible? Today, we're going to be looking at a story in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. We're working our way through most of the first chapter, so we'll be reading the passage in chunks. Ruth is near the front of the Bible. It's between... Uh, Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. So if you get to the Samuels and the Kings and the Chronicles, you've gone too far, go towards the front. Ruth is a little book about four chapters long. It's it's not that long. Honestly, you could read it in a sitting today. I'd encourage you, if you've never read it, I hope this message piques your interest and you spend some time reading it today. But in Ruth's story, especially Ruth 1, we are going to see three parallels. Things that happened in the life of Ruth And her mother-in-law, Naomi, that I think are remarkably parallel to our experience today. So beginning in Ruth 1, this is what we read. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and his two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mawon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab, and they settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died in Moab, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they'd lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died, and the woman, that's Naomi, their mother, was left without her two children and without her husband. Here's the first parallel between this story and ours, is that everyone is in a battle. Everyone that you meet today, I believe each of you who are watching this live or who will watch this later in a replay every one of us is in a battle. And often we don't see that battle from the surface or from a distance. If we look at the story of of Naomi, she is in a battle herself. Her family has gone through a famine. They've had to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. This is not like going from Phoenix to to, uh, Prescott or from Prescott to Tucson. This is like going from America to Canada. Or Mexico to Canada. It's moving a country away. So they've experienced a famine. They've gone through a difficult move. Some of you have moved recently and you know just how unsettling that can be. There's been a death of her husband, so she's now a widow. And to top it all off, she's buried her sons. All of this has happened in a decade, in 10 years. A famine, a move, losing her husband, And losing her sons. That's what Naomi has endured. And so, if you look at Naomi's story, you look at her experience, if you were to talk to somebody like that, you might say, Yeah, it makes sense that you're bitter and despairing. You're hurting. We're going to see in a little bit just how much bitterness, just how much despair Naomi has. But I just want to warn you before we get there, it's going to make sense. It's gonna make sense that she is in that place of pain and struggle, that she's in that battle because of what she has endured. And when you read her story, it makes total sense. You go, of course, she's in a battle. Those things happen to her. But many times when we interact with each other, we don't have all that information that the Bible gives us as kind of the all-knowing narrator in a story. We don't see all the things that each of us are carrying. We see somebody from a distance and maybe they're keeping their distance. Maybe they're wearing a mask, but behind the mask and through the distance, each of us are walking through a battle. This is why I love the famous quote from Aristotle who said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Everybody that you encounter is going through something. And if they're not in the heat of it, they're probably heading into it. And if they're not in the heat of it, they're probably just coming out of it and they're feeling the exhaustion and the weight of it and the fatigue of it. But so often we don't see people through that lens. We see them as for us or against us, agreeing with us or not agreeing with us, sharing our politics, not sharing our politics, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, And we tend to see people through those lenses. And in this story, we're invited to see Ruth and Naomi as people who are hurting and in the middle of a battle. And so here's what I want you to do today. I want to encourage you to look at the world through colored glasses. You know, we say it sometimes, that person there, oh, they see the world through rose-colored glasses. They, they just see the world as perfect and good, and, and we say this as if we don't see the world through a filter. Well, we all see the world through a filter, and here's the, the encouragement I want to make to you today. I want to encourage you this week to see the world through a specific filter, and it's this filter. That everyone you encounter this week, whether in person or online, is in the middle of a battle. Maybe in the middle of pain. And I wonder how that would change how you interact with them. For instance, as you're scrolling through social media this week, and you see somebody post something that just looks over the top, or, or they attack you, or you watch them attack somebody else, I want you to pause and go, I wonder if they're hurting. I wonder if they're struggling. I wonder what battle they're in. Because it's possible that the reaction and the emotion and the intensity you see has nothing to do with the fight that they're going through and everything that's going on inside of them. And yet this is easy to see and this is not. And so for those who are about to meet Naomi, who are about to meet Ruth in the story, when they get to know what has happened to her, her response makes so much more sense. And I think the same thing is true for us, that everyone we meet is in a battle. Let's keep reading their story in Ruth 1 verse 6. It says, Naomi and her daughters in law set out to return from the territory of Moab Because Naomi had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. So they left Bethlehem, went to Moab. Now they're in Moab and they've heard 10 years later, hey, there's food again in Bethlehem. Let's go home. So it says, Naomi left the place where she'd been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and she traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to each of them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. So in this world, if you didn't have a husband and you were a woman, you didn't have the ability to to provide wealth, to, to have property, to be protected. Their only hope was getting another husband. And so Naomi kissed them and they being Orpah and Ruth, they wept loudly and they say to Naomi, We insist on returning with you to your people. We want to go with you, Naomi. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Now, in this world, there's this thing called leveret marriage. And what it means is that if there's a son who dies in a family, the other sons are obligated to help that widow conceive to carry on the family line. Well, there's no more sons. And she's like, am I going to have more sons in the future to help you? return home, my daughters, go on, for I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. We'll come back to this sentence in a second. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Second parallel to our experience is that we tend to push people away when we're in pain. We tend to push people away when we're in pain. As a pastor, one of the things that I see more than anything else is people in pain. People often turn to the church or reach out for help when they are overwhelmed in pain. And yet at the same time, while we're needing people to come near us and love us and care for us when we're in pain, many of us, our tendency is to push people away in our pain. As the old cliche says, you know, hurt people, hurt people. We tend to push people away when we're in pain. And that's Naomi's story. Naomi literally says in Ruth 1.13, my life is too bitter for you to share. You need to get away from me because my life is too hard for anyone to walk it with me. So just leave me alone. Let me suffer by myself. She literally is trying to push her daughter-in-laws, her family away because she thinks that there's too much pain and too much bitterness. Why would you want to go through this with me? Why would you want to be in this with me? And you go, man, that, that's, that's a little bit intense. Yeah. And I think we see some of ourselves in this story. I know I certainly did. I'm going to invite some friends out on stage with me. So I'm going to bring out Ben and Benny. We did not plan the names that way, but they're volunteering to help me today. So uh, Ben, you're going to be right here. Benny, you're going to be right here. They each have a heart. And uh, their heart is in some ways like an illustration of this moment. You know, Ben has kind of pre-torn his heart because Ben is like a lot of us, like Naomi, that he's gone through some bitterness and some pain. And we love like to think that our hearts are, are perfect like this. These hearts are, are much better shaped than mine are that I cut out this morning. But many of us are like Ben and we've got a heart that's in pain. And yet we have people who are around us who want to come close to us and help us. But what's our tendency? When we're in pain, our tendency is to try to move towards people to help. But the tendency when we're in pain is to do what? Is to hurt, to preempt this person hurting us because we're already in pain. The temptation is to hurt them. Yes, Benny, it's tough. Thanks for thanks for hopping on, guys. And, and that exchange, while a little bit simple and silly, reflects this principle. That we're afraid of rejection, we're afraid of hurt, like Naomi, so we push people away before they can reject us. Many of us, because of the pain that we're in, we are afraid of those people rejecting us and saying, yeah, your life is too bitter to share. Yeah, you're in too much pain to love. Yeah, you're too broken for me to come alongside. So we tell ourselves those stories and then preemptively we push those people away. And we find that what we need the most, community, people, love, out of fear, we push that away because we're scared that if we risk love, community, people, we may also experience hurt, rejection, and even more pain. You might say, Scott, that sounds like a lesson on dating. It's not about dating, although it maybe applies there. It's about all of our lives. Many times we find ourselves isolated and alone by choices that we made. We keep people at an arm's distance because we're in so much pain and we're afraid of letting anybody see that much less risking them increasing that pain. I've heard from so many of you, and I've read so many statistics this year about the growing amount of isolation and loneliness that we're experiencing. And I use the word we because there have been moments this year where I've awakened or gained an awareness that, man, I am more isolated than I realized. Man, there are not people who really know what I'm going through or what I'm struggling with. And I'm so grateful that in those moments, there were people in my life who intentionally kept reaching out. I've got a friend and on a weekly basis, sometimes more than once a week, he would send me one of those annoying follow-up texts like this, which said, how are you doing? How is that blank thing going? we were talking about Has There been any change. And he would just keep following up with me and following up with me and letting me know that he really wanted to know even if things hadn't gotten better, even if things had gotten worse, even if there was no change, he still wanted to know how those things were going and more importantly, how I was doing in the middle of it. And multiple times when I gave him the brush off or when I wasn't fully transparent, he would ask follow-up penetrating questions so that I would know that he cared. Even though I was in pain trying to push him away, he kept showing up. And here's what I want to encourage you with. I think you probably have people in your life like that, that you know are struggling, that you know are going through a hard battle, that you know are like where Naomi was. And they come to mind and you go, man, you know, I wonder, I wonder how she's doing. I wonder how he's doing. And I want to encourage you to take action when that person's name comes to mind, when you think about them, I want you to treat that thought or that name as a prompt from God to reach out. I cannot tell you on how many occasions I have thought of somebody, texted or called, and I had no idea what they were going through, and yet God did, and he prompted me to think about them, and I reached out, and it was perfect, timing. People did the same thing for me. Hey, you were on my mind. And I was like, man, I was on your mind because I am having a rough go of it. And if our tendency is to push each other away when we're in pain, we need to follow God's promptings to reach out through that pain. And that is exactly what Ruth does next in this story. Naomi said, look, Ruth, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. She let it go, and she let her stay. Here's a third parallel in this message today. A relentless commitment to another person can break down walls. All of us, I believe, have some level of walls in our lives. Some of them are as large and as tall and as strong as Naomi's. Others of us, they're a lot shorter, they're a lot smaller. But if those walls are going to be broken down, it is going to take a person with relentless commitment. Jesus Christ is our best example of that. He knocked down the walls between us and him when he came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, gave his life on the cross so that we could be reconciled to him. He's the ultimate example of this. But we, to each other, have an opportunity to do the same thing to show each other a relentless commitment to break down those walls that pain and hurt and loss have built up and to break through them so community can happen. And I love what Ruth says in this text. She basically says, I'm not afraid of your pain, Naomi. I know you're struggling. I know you're in a battle. I know you're hurting, but guess what? I'm not afraid of your pain. And isn't that Naomi's greatest fear? Isn't that your and my greatest fear? That if the people around us saw what we had been through, what's really going on in our heart, the pain that's really there, they would run from our pain. And what Ruth is saying is I'm not going anywhere. In fact, I'm going to be buried here with you. See, it's that kind of commitment that transforms us. It's that kind of commitment in Jesus Christ that saved us, and we follow in the steps of Jesus when we show each other that kind of relentless commitment. And we need to show that kind of commitment because isolation is so pervasive today. Friends, isolation, it takes little effort, but community takes a big commitment. You don't have to work hard today to become isolated it's like gravity. It's just the direction you naturally go, especially in a world like we're experiencing in 2020. All of us, if we don't pay attention, will become isolated. It's almost a guarantee. But for us to experience real, true community, relationship, strengthen our connections, that's going to take a big commitment. A couple of years ago, Jamie Parker, our, our worship pastor, went to a conference and he came back. And whenever our team goes to a conference, we always kind of share our big takeaways, our big learnings. And he shared a quote that God had just used to challenge his heart from Evan Wickham. Evan said, everyone wants community, but no one wants to make a commitment. You know, Scott, that, that sounds kind of harsh. It, it, I think maybe it is, but it's intended to wake us up. That so many of us go, man, I'm isolated, I'm lonely, I need community, I need relationships. And then an opportunity comes. And many of us, if we're honest, we're scared to commit. Or the commitment seems too big. Or we're intimidated by it. And so we don't experience that community. I've never experienced real, true community apart from commitment. And I wonder if you go back in your past and think about where you've been and what you've experienced, if you've ever experienced community apart from commitment either. I believe there's some of you today that if we were to get honest about what you've been praying about for the last few days or weeks, you've been praying about this subject of of community, of people. You've been knowing, yeah, I need to be aware of God's presence, but I need some people. I need some connection. I need some community. And that's not ever going to happen apart from commitment. And I wonder something, what if God wants you to be part of the answer to your own prayer? I hate it when God does that. I'm like praying for something. I'm, I'm interceding. I'm pleading. I'm petitioning God to do something. And God goes, okay, we're going to do that. And you're going to be part of it. I was like, no, 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 God, I I asked you to do that. I didn't ask for me to be part of it and yet that's what commitment is. It's saying, God, I need this. I know this is absent. I know that if I had people, if I had community, then I could flourish in this time. And God goes, okay, what if you are part of the answer? You know, part of the way that we are seeking to deal with this loneliness and isolation pandemic in our culture is our community groups. Groups that meet every week or every other week in a living room for an hour and a half or two hours and dig into this message that we've been talking about today and share life with one another. And backstage today, I heard a conversation with our, our team who's leading in the service day. And somebody said, I, I, we joined this group right when we started at Cornerstone and we had no idea that the needs and the challenges that were going to happen in our lives. And if it wasn't for that group, I don't know where we would be. And we asked some people, who we had heard about the impact of their experiences in groups to share their stories with us. And one of those stories we're going to share today, this story comes from a member of our band. His name's Hans. You see him playing guitar many Sundays. And here's his story.
1: What does my small group mean to me? Connection, friendship, a place I can be real and live life. Sunday mornings, there's enough time to say hi to somebody, maybe a little bit of discussion, but nothing deep, nothing where you really get to know someone or get to be known. With my small group, regular meetings, get to know the people there, and this is where I've really, really made friends. I also feel like I've really gotten to be known. With all the isolation going on, whether due to COVID or in my case due to an injury, Being able to still meet with my group by video call has been very important and been a major factor for me being able to pretty much stay sane and not drive myself nuts by myself. I'm not very good at things like relationship, but I've been learning it through my small group. And they've even helped me with learning things like how to celebrate.
0: So we're talking about really fundamental things today. How do we relate to one another? How do we open up with one another? As, as Hans said, how do we stay sane? And one of the ways that we do that is by being part of our own answer to our own prayers. And so we're going to put out a challenge for you today. Next month, we're going to launch our groups for the fall. And there's an opportunity for you to be a part of not only answering your prayer, but somebody else's prayer. We want to invite you to consider becoming a community group facilitator. Facilitating the experience of community for yourself and other people. Not just showing up and expecting somebody else to make the commitment and do the work, but you. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to have a, a Bible degree. You don't have to be somebody who's been doing this forever. You just have to be somebody who says, you know what? I want to be a part of answering my own prayer. I want to be a part of answering somebody else's prayer. And if everybody wants community, but nobody wants to make a commitment, I'll make a commitment. And I will do that so other people can experience this gift. If God's moving in your heart today about this, we want to encourage you to email paul at prescottcornerstone.com to learn more. We'll offer you a training in the next couple weeks. We'll give you everything you need to facilitate this experience for other people. But we believe that we need more facilitators so that more people can experience community in a time like this when loneliness and isolation is just pervasive.
2: So good morning and welcome to this part of our service. we kind of a new thing that we started last week, Josh. Did an excellent job. I'm feeling the a little bar nervous. Is set high, Clovis. I'm a little nervous about being able to do this hosting part. But anyway. He has a, a
0: much better beer than you too. So well, <laughs>
2: what can you say, you know?
0: That's <laughs> because I trim mine. But anyway.
2: Um, so uh, we do wanna start off though. I mean if you are watching on Facebook or YouTube or watching on our web website. Uh, You can text in questions to us, any questions for you that, you know, they might want answered. So you can do that in the little chat area. Um, If you're watching on our website, you can actually text your question to the number 928-288-5490. So you can text in a question there, and we will be monitoring that. And uh, we'll try to get to as many questions as we can. We'll just see how that goes. But starting off, uh, normally we always do, you do, next steps Mm -hmm. after your sermon to kind of help encourage us to apply what we're hearing. So do you have a next step
0: for us? Yeah, well, I I would say two, um, and these are both really practical And they um, in the life of our church. One I mentioned in the message, which is that we want to encourage you to commit to either facilitating a group, or participating in a group. And so we we did a training a couple weeks ago with some new facilitators and and they're ready and excited and we'll be able to launch some new groups this fall, but we would love to launch more groups and that's just dependent upon the number of facilitators we have. And so we know that there's a number of you who are not in a group or who started attending Cornerstone during this COVID season, would like to get more involved in a group. And so we would encourage you to consider facilitating a group today. And again, you can email Paul at Prescott dot com for that. You may already be in a group, though. Uh, maybe your group has been on hiatus this summer, or maybe you've kind of pulled back because of COVID. And we want to encourage you to make a commitment, a new commitment to your group this fall. As as Han, Hans mentioned, his group kept meeting through Zoom and he said it, it kept him sane. It helped him get through a medical challenge, get through this season. And I believe the same thing is true for people in your group. They need you to be consistent, even if you're just showing up as a participant in the group to show up and to encourage, and to share, and to pray, and to do life with. So either one of these, facilitating a group or participating in a group. The second thing I would just say is that we'd encourage you on Sunday mornings to consider hosting or attending a watch party this fall. So we know that there's many of you that are watching uh, at home by yourself, maybe with your, your spouse or your family. We've heard from a number of you who watch alone, and there may be some health reasons for that. But we want to encourage you to step out and say, hey, I want to be a part of community on Sunday morning by showing up to watch the service of the people. And so maybe you know people who go to Cornerstone and you go, hey, let's just, we're already watching in our house, let's watch together, start your own watch party. Or you know some people who are getting together and you go, hey, could I join you? Could I show up and be a part of that? Those are two really simple ways that you could commit to community and people this fall through groups or through wash parties.
2: Okay, so um, we really encourage you to get yeah. involved in that way. Now, one of the questions that might be raised by all of this is, what if, I mean, is that the only way that you can get involved in community at Cornerstone? Through the groups.
0: No, I mean, it's, it's, so first of all, I would say somebody asked me this week, I said, Scott, are you saying that if I'm not in a group, I don't have community? <laughs> no, that that would be uh, way out of bounds for me. I, I don't know your story. And I there are many ways that we experience community in this life. So no, if, if you're not in a group, I'm not saying you don't have community. What I am saying is if you're not in community and you're looking for more relationships, the best way to do that is through our groups. And we, as a church, are committed to a really simple focus. That means we don't offer a, a plethora of programs or a menu of options. Community groups is where that starts. For many people, community groups are the gateway into deeper community where people are getting together as men or as women in that group. They're getting together for coffee and for lunches during the week to continue what's happening in groups. That's one of the ways that they're getting cared for When, when medical crisis happens or life change occurs, or there's something terrible that shows up out of nowhere, that's where that community happens. So at Cornerstone, it is the gateway to community for us. But if you're not in a group, I'm not saying that you don't have community elsewhere. I'm just saying for us, if you're looking for community at Cornerstone, that's, that's your next step.
2: Plus, I mean, just to kind of tie into that, um, one of the things we do in those groups is to really try to apply what we're hearing on Sunday morning. That's one of the major emphases for us is to apply God's word, not just be hearers of the word, but be doers as well.
0: Yeah, and I would just say, like I heard somebody say this week, that you can't become the best version of yourself by yourself. And there's an idea that's pervasive in America today because we've adopted this very individualistic mindset as a culture that it's just me and Jesus and we're good, but you will never become who Jesus made you to be if it's just you and Jesus. And so these things we we discuss on Sunday, you're going to need help applying them. Frankly, I need help applying them. And my group challenges me. They ask me hard questions. They push me. You know, even as a group, they go, hey, I heard your sermon. I don't agree with some of it. Well, let's talk about that. You know, I love that interaction because it makes me better and it helps me to actually do the things I'm challenging you to. So, yeah, community groups are an awesome tool to help us experience transformation.
2: All right. So we need to kind of bring it to a close. Any uh, final thoughts? Any last word? Or yeah,
0: I, two, two pieces um, that I would say. Um, one, and both of these are things I mentioned in the message. One is I want to encourage you that when you ask somebody how they're doing to add a word, and it's the word really. Clovis, I've asked you this in the last few months. I've said, Clovis, how are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? Yes. And uh, it's a different conversation. Now I put in fine print at the bottom, if you mean it and have time, because how many of us have had somebody ask us how we're doing and we don't think they're honest (laughs) or we go, they don't have time to hear it. So we don't share it. But if you're going to actually care about other people and commit to them, then I would encourage you to ask somebody how they're doing really. And one of the ways that I'm doing this is my goal is every day, at least once I'm texting somebody that I know that I care about. Maybe they're going through something and I say, Hey, how are you doing? Question mark, really exclamation mark, just so that they know that I know that I mean it and I have time and the conversations that come out of that question are really powerful. So that's one thing. Another thing is this number four, when someone comes to mind this fall, I want you to treat that as God saying, reach out. I just believe that if God puts somebody on your mind, it is on purpose. There's a reason. And so when you think about them, say something. That old statement, if you see something, say something. If you see somebody's name, say something to them. It, It may not be anything significant, but just let them know that you care and that you're there. That way... If they end up in a Naomi situation, they know they can call you. They can reach out to you, that you're there. And in my experience, when you are that kind of person for other people, people become that kind of person for you. So a couple of practical things as we close today.
2: So again, if uh, you want to apply what we've heard this morning, one of the ways is to join a group, get involved in a community group, or to be willing to host one. And if you're willing to do that, we'd love uh, for you to let us know and to continue to do some of the things we talked about here in terms of asking people how are they really doing mm-hmm. and try to, you know, find out really how yeah. are you doing.
0: And they can, you can, Paul, Paul, Presley is a great way. If you're interested in facilitating group, we'll have more info the next two Sundays about the launch of our fall groups. So stay tuned for that if you're looking to sign up to be a part of that.